Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom Imagine a land where women and girls run wild and free, where we're supported to feel, encouraged to express, and where we experience true collective healing. A place where we can play, laugh, and howl under the moon. Here, you can let your guard down and come back to the essence of wild womanhood, your nervous system finally able to relax in the total absence of men and the total presence of sisterhood. Women call this the magic place. And as female-only spaces continue to dwindle, securing land of my own for women's festivals has been a lifelong dream come to fruition. So I'm thrilled to announce and invite you to the second annual Matriarch Rising Festival that will take place here in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, June 19th through the 24th. This is an exclusive Wild Women's Summer Solstice Gathering. A week of dancing, nude sunbathing, communing with the elements, singing, and falling in love with what it means to be alive as a woman. Tickets are officially on sale and they will sell out, so head over to matriarchrisingfestival.com for all the details and to get your ticket. Can't wait to see you there. This week we have Emily, a former labor and delivery nurse turned free birthing mother. After starting nursing school when she was pregnant with her first daughter, Emily quickly realized that licensure and hospital policies trump all else, and advocating for your patients can only go so far. After her birth with her second son, she removed herself from the medical system altogether and went on to have a wild pregnancy and a surprise breach free birth with her third. All right, Emily, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here with you. So yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are and, and how you came to be a free birthing woman? Sure. So I'm Emily. Um, I'm a mother of three children. I'm a former nurse, L&D nurse. <laughs> so that's interesting. We'll talk about that more. But I'm currently just a stay-at-home mom, homeschooling my oldest child, um, like so many of us. <laughs> I've chosen that path in the past year and a half. So that's kind of what's keeping me the most busy right now. You had Mm -hmm. your daughter first and you Mm -hmm. were quite young, right? I was 21. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you became the L and D nurse. 
Mm-hmm. After, yeah. yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. yeah. So essentially I got pregnant when I was 20 and I was kind of coming out of like a really difficult abusive relationship. And, um, I was actually coming out of addiction. I was addicted to heroin. So that was a whole other thing, but the pregnancy and everything was my opportunity to change my life. And that's exactly the route, the route I took. So in being pregnant, I was kind of like, well, I got to get my shit together and I got to go to school and do all these things that I, you know, should do. Were you already clean? And like, is the, is the father of the daughter, the abuser? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's never been in the picture. He right. went to jail and we were very codependent in that situation. So him going to jail, like forced it. And then on top of that, the pregnancy, it was my wake up call for sure. Wow. Um, so, and like my daughter and I have kind of talked about that. I feel like she's old enough to hear like the basics of that, but as she gets older, I'm definitely going to talk to her more about it and like, let her know that she was like my, you know, saving light. So that's, that's something that's really important to me and important to my story. So that's why I share that. But along with that, getting out of that, like I said, I felt like I needed to get everything in line. I have to be responsible now and everything. So that's what led me to nursing school. So I started nursing school when I was pregnant with her out of, you know, just wanted to be responsible. So I had her at the hospital. It's kind of like your classic natural birth in the hospital as much as that can be a thing. That's, that's how I framed it at the time for myself. I lived really close to the hospital at that point um, with my parents and like two blocks away. So I waited to the last second to go. Cause I still, I knew I didn't want an epidural The idea of not being able to like feel my legs really freaks me out it, more than any pain ever could. So I wasn't aware of much. I had read Ina May's book, like the night before I went to labor. So that kind of <laughs> like all the birth stories. Like, that oh, were like, read <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like something, something inside of me knew, you know, like you need to like download some like legit information, you know? So I read that whole book in one night and then I went into labor the next morning. Yeah. I have a, I have a girlfriend that with her, I think it was her third, but it was her first like free birth. Mm-hmm. She was in, she decided in labor to start finally reading about <laughs> free birth and taking the course and all of this stuff. Isn't that funny? So funny. Oh, wow. It's, it really is like, oh shit. Like this is for real. <laughs> so um, you wait till the last second, meaning that were you living with your mom at the time? Yeah. And so yeah. you were in your mom's house laboring and she was your support. Yeah. I mean, actually that day, like I, I woke up having contractions, but I was like in total denial, which is what happens every time to me, apparently. <laughs> and I like, I literally went to school and like took my finals that day and like yeah. in labor and then had like my friend come over for dinner and like breathing through contractions while I'm trying to eat. And I'm like, this is going to go away. I have, you know, like I I had finals all that next week. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get through this. And she came a week early. So I was thinking in my mind, like I have one more week. It'll, you know, this is, this isn't really happening. And what a a disservice this whole like EDD thing does for people. 
right? Right. Like a week early. No, she didn't come a week early. It doesn't make any sense, you know? Exactly. But, she came when you, she came. You, you did exactly what everyone advises women to do, you know, mm-hmm. like you intuitively on some level to just like kind of not yeah. take it seriously, which shaved off over 24 hours of you focusing exactly. on it. That's amazing. It's, I yeah. wish I had done that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and like I said, like, that's kind of what I've done every time where I'm kind of like, this is just prodromal labor. Like back then I didn't even know that term, but that's basically where I was at in my head. Um, but yeah, so I waited until my water broke, essentially my water broke and like my childhood dog, like was licking it off the floor. (laughs) I'm like, I guess we better go. But yeah, so we got to the hospital. We parked in the wrong place. I didn't want to walk around the whole hospital. I was like banging on the door where a security guard was like being like, can you please let me in the door? And he's like motioning, like, you need to walk to the ED. You know, I'm like, no, because like he he did let me in and I had her within like 20 minutes of, oh my gosh. Yeah. And like the nurses didn't take me seriously because, you know, I'm a young first time mom there. And I was quiet. Um, stoic was the word they used, but so they didn't believe that I was as far along as I was. They were like, well, we got to get a room for you. And like making me wait in the waiting room. I'm like, no, like I need to be back in that room now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they got me back to a room and they checked me and they told me I was nine centimeters, which whatever, who even, I was probably complete and they just didn't want to tell me that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did have enough time to put an IV in me and like pump me full of fluids. And, um, it was, you know, I didn't have an epidural and that was like my goal after reading Ina May's book, because I had figured out the trouble that can bring up for you. But so I felt like I had had my successful natural birth, but now I look back on it and it's like, I was on my back. Everyone's screaming at me to push. I had an episiotomy cut that was, you oh know, my God. yeah, totally unnecessary. I had all this fluid in my body. And of course they gave me pit after for the placenta. Um, and that really like set me up for a lot of failure with breastfeeding my daughter because I was so swollen I remember trying to nurse her and the nurses were like, oh, you got flat nipples. She can't uh, latch on to you and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I've never noticed these flat nipples you speak of ever in my life, you know, staring, you know, looking at my breasts my whole life. This has never been a thing. And now, you know, knowing what I know now, I'm like, I was so swollen from all the IV fluids. So, and then, you know, she her birth weight was artificially high. So then when I go into the peed a week later and they're like, well, she's down all this weight and I feel like a failure and I'm crying and they're, you know, Mm. here's some formula. So, and this, and this is a woman, you know, this is the natural birth. Yeah. Right. And so it creates so much confusion. Obviously you figured this out, you know, now, but, but Mm -hmm. so many women are in that place right now today of being like, wait, but I had a natural birth. Why would I be struggling? Is something mm-hmm. like wrong with me? Right? right. Like it just perpetuates the insecurities and the confusion that you, you are walking around thinking like, but didn't I have like a good birth? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And now like knowing 
what we know about like Pitocin and its link to postpartum anxiety and depression and all of that, like I look back on that and I'm like, well, of course I felt the way I felt. Um, and there were other, you know, personal factors too. me not having a partner at the time and all that, but that's certainly all played into it. And then, you know, feeling unsuccessful because I felt like I had to supplement, mm-hmm. um, with nursing. And then I got brush and then, you know, she had a tongue tie that never got revised because no one diagnosed it. Um, so, I mean, I went on to nurse her for four years, so we pushed through it. And that's like, I talk about breastfeeding a lot and that's why, because I'm like the gifts that I got from it, from persevering through all the bullshit really like taught me to trust myself in that time, you know, coming out of that addiction and everything, like that's what I needed. So totally. Yeah. So then you finish nursing school. What brings you to L and D? How does that all go? Cause I know you have some (laughs) whistleblowing (laughs) secrets. Yeah. I, I worked for a few years in like med surge and oncology and palliative care. I did that. And then we moved out further into like a rural area and I wanted to stop driving into the city. So the job they had open there was L and D and that was something I had always been interested in just because I am, you know, clearly interested in women's health. You know, I had the whole attitude of like, I'm going to go in there and like be this shining light for women, you know, who want to have natural births. Like you wanted to be, you, you probably like so many women, so many nurses and midwives, like you're going to be the unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's unrealistic. That's it, it. It, it just is because you go into the system and all these people have been in the system for years and they're indoctrinated into their way of thinking and there's no changing their minds and And they're who pays your paycheck. So like you can only do so much like, right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, and I, I figured that out really quickly. So I only worked there for like nine months because I felt so uncomfortable doing what I had to do in order to do my job there. And Ultimately, and this is why I've now, I don't work as a nurse anymore and I won't for multiple reasons, (laughs) um, especially with current events, but nurses answer to doctors and the nursing board and hospitals. And that's point blank, but you know, we, you may want to go in there and help your patients advocate for your patients. And you can do that up to a certain, you know, degree, Mm-hmm. But if there's any controversial anything, it's over, you know, for, for you and, and your advocacy. And, and it's all because you're working under that license. And, you know, it's not to say that there's not nurses who have good intentions or whatever. But, but um, it's quite low on the power totem yeah. pole. I mean, it's a very, very intentional, very strong hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And nurses are, are, are maybe even on the bottom of the hospital hierarchy and the amount of abuse that they take. Yeah. Both verbal and physical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for my previous job I had before that, you know, I was assaulted, um, by patients on multiple occasions and 
it's just the culture is just, well, you just, you know, that's just part of the job. That's just how it goes. Damn. That's crazy. I wasn't even talking about patients. I was thinking of like how her staff versus well, verbal abuse from the doctors, I'm sure patients too, but also Um, like, you know, not being allowed bathroom breaks, like being so dehydrated, like being on your feet for 12 plus hours. And like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've known nurses who they were so overworked and weren't allowed breaks. It was, I mean, it's, illegal, yeah. but it still happened all the time. I mean, I, I just got a check in the mail for a lawsuit from my previous employer for them that, um, Whoa. allowing us enough time to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what were, awesome. what are some things that stand out to you that maybe a woman listening to this podcast who is unfamiliar with the system? What is, mm-hmm. what are some like things you think a mother and a woman should know about L and D? Well, I mean, the thing that sticks out in my brain is hospitals run by policies. Policies aren't laws, by the way, but everything is, you have to go by the policy, the protocol. It doesn't matter what your wishes may be. Doctors work under, they work under the hospital system too. They work in a way where they're operating um, in a way where they're trying not to get sued. Like that's, that's, they will use every safety protocol. They work to save their ass. That's kind of the whole thing. And they, most of them, I can't generalize everybody, but what I've seen is they think they know better than you and they treat you like that in many cases. And a lot of women will just be like, well, they do know better than me because they're the expert and they may know techniques and medication and all that kind of shit. But ultimately you as a woman are the ultimate authority over your body and your baby and your birth. And the doctors don't like (laughs) any woman who has that attitude. That's, that's an issue. If anything comes up in birth. Well, it's kind of like back to the hierarchy thing. Like it's, it's very clear how the hospital system plays and the doctors are very, very high up Mm -hmm. on the hierarchical pyramid and the patients are quite low, which is not technically what like their oath is supposed to be about, but how it actually plays out is definitely that the doctor is more powerful. And so when a woman comes in with a whiff of that, it doesn't fit the, it doesn't fit how it's supposed to go. It doesn't fit the program. (laughs) Exactly. And like, that's another thing is like birth in the hospital is just a set of like check marks. It's like, okay, we're going to start your pit and then give you fluids and then put your monitors on. And, you know, if things don't pick up soon, we'll give you more pit. And like the actual birth you know, it's like, set the table up, get your legs up in the stirrups, take, you know, your catheter out and it's an assembly line. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I hated it as a nurse because I'm over there, you know, by the mom's head, checking stuff off my list and charting, you know, vitals and you know, what the heart rate monitor says and like time of birth. And then you take the baby and then you do the weight and the, all the, you know, all the stuff. And 
there's no reverence for the experience that the mother is having and the baby and the family, you know, it's just, this is, this is what we do. And it's because they see it every day or whatever. Also yeah. when you have abused nurses taking care of the patients, mm-hmm. like what is, what kind of care is that going to result in, you know? Right. But didn't you say that there was like, that you were taught to tell when you did vaginal exams to tell women that they were not as far along as they really were? Yeah. That like when I was being trained, um, to do cervical checks, that was, that, that was one of the things that they said, just because it'll make them get into a headspace that they don't want them to be in yet. Cause we need time to like call the doctor and like set everything up and all that kind of stuff. But, um, I mean, honestly, cervical checks were why I quit that job because I felt so deeply uncomfortable and wrong doing it. And I don't think I could have even like articulated it at the, that time, like why it made me feel that way. But now having had my two free births after working in that space and, you know, having pregnancies where no one touched me, I realized like none, there's no reason for it. And I think about working there and it's like, why, why exactly was I having to put my fingers in these women's vaginas when they're in pain? And, you know, like I feel deep regret and guilt about that. Honestly, that's like a a piece that is very difficult for me. Hmm. And it's because of my own indoctrination to listen to the authorities, you know, it's the doctors being like, go check her. I need to go, you know, figure out what my night's going to be like, if I'm on call or not, you know, like she's Uh, a fucking cow. Yeah. Go check her. Mm -hmm. Go go finger her while she's in labor and nobody, I mean, it's so, it's so beyond like when's the last time a stranger had fingers inside of your vagina. Right. Right. Like that is like, why is that in this one context, totally expected and acceptable and exactly. like the random, I'm thinking of like, we have so many workers like coming to the house to help us with all of, you know, all of the stuff we have mm-hmm. going on. And they're just like random guys. But like, if you put a, a white coat on him and put him in the hospital, we would all let him finger us, <laughs> you know, like it's fucking nuts. It's insanity. Honestly. Yeah. For real. Like, of course, women are numb. Of course they're choosing to be numbed out. Duh. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow wacky wacky and and it's so sad it's so sad of the indoctrination I totally know what you mean I mean I have my own versions of that being a doula I wasn't doing Mm -hmm. vaginal exams but I was definitely like trying to help keep the woman calm while she was getting a vaginal exam she didn't want you know I mean I was definitely a part of enabling Mm -hmm. assault yeah It's, it's the holding the hands while the legs are up in the stirrups, you know, telling her when to push that whole. Honey, this is just something thing. they have to do. They have to get your baby out. They have to get your baby out. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. So who, how do you go from L and D new mom into becoming a free birthing <laughs> woman? Well, I think like I've always been a subversive thinker, I guess my whole life. And 
I, I quit that job and I went and I actually worked as a school nurse for a little while, which was a whole different world and kind of transitioning from the hospital to like more community health made me realize like, I really don't ever want to work in a hospital again. And now that I've had my babies and I haven't worked at the school, I'm like, I don't ever want to work as a nurse again, period. Because that job was, you know, the vaccine police basically. So I got pregnant with my son and wasn't exactly sure what I wanted. I knew that I didn't want to have a hospital birth again. I listened to your podcast. That's definitely a part of the transition from being a nurse, having the hospital birth, and then realizing that there's other options. But I still had some of that medical mindset. So I was like, well, I'm going to go and use the birth center at the hospital. Hmm. I went to like two or three appointments there. And I was like, this seems like the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a birth center, but it's the hospital. I I saw it different care after that. Like, sorry, it's just, it's making me think of like when people say they're trans, it's like a man (laughs) in a dress saying they're a woman is like, we all know that you're a man, but you're saying you're a woman because you're wearing a dress. And so everyone's costume acting confused. It's like Mm -hmm. the birth center. Like we all know it's the hospital. You can see with your eyes Mm -hmm. that it's Smells like the hospital, acts like the hospital, but it just has like a comforter on a bed, you know? That's what and I was like, going to say. It's just flowers. prettier. Yeah. It's a yeah, costume. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. There's just furniture and like, you know, wood floors and all that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, they're that's lying. Funny. They're liars. Yeah. It's all a show. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the thing there. So I, I figured that out pretty quickly and I was like, this is, this isn't for me. I remember going and them taking my blood pressure and I had been in like horrible traffic, had to like drive all over the place, trying to find a parking spot. So like my blood pressure was slightly, slightly elevated. And they're like giving me all these lectures. I'm like, I live an hour away. I just drove here, you know, in horrible traffic. Of course (laughs) I'm anxious. So of course my blood pressure is high. And like, I'm like, I don't want to be lectured for things that I understand. Like, I know what's going on with my body. So I don't need this from you. I found a midwife in Missouri. CPMs are legal. So I went that route and she was cool. Like I really got along with her. She was a good midwife and she was very hands-off and let me make any decision for myself, which, you know, saying, let me is even like an issue in and of itself. But for the most part, she, she was good. I liked her. I enjoyed, you know, talking with her and everything. But when it came down to birth and like the idea of having somebody in my house, even though I had like, you know, built a relationship with her over the months, she still felt like a stranger. And she felt like that because she still held this level of authority over me. Mm. And the idea of having her in my house while I'm in labor really made me anxious and the weeks leading up to labor. And I had also been listening to Free Birth Society and like reading. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so that, that was, you know, the little yeah. bug was in my, my head. Um, when I went into labor, it was overnight and 
I decided to get out of bed and go downstairs. My partner was upstairs. My daughter was upstairs sleeping and being in my own home in the dark and allowing myself to move the way I needed to move without like eyes on me and like make the sounds I needed to make. Like I'm a very loud (laughs) person in birth. And I remember like with my first in the hospital, like having to feel self-conscious on some level, even though I was like in birth land, Mm -hmm. there's still like the self-conscious thing happening because you know, I'm like, I sound like I sound when I have sex <laughs> and these people are looking at me, you know? Totally. So, um, and the sounds yeah. are like one of 12 very intimate things that you're doing yeah. and sharing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm like a, a more introverted person anyway. So like anything, anything like that makes me uncomfortable just by default. Mm -hmm. So then it's like, we're going deeper and deeper into the layers of birth and, um, how intimate it is. And I don't, I don't want people there. And like I said, so being in my house and being able to do that and not even having my partner or my daughter there for the majority of the labor, I was in that. And I was like, this is what I need. Like this, I can't. I can't call the midwife. I don't want her here. And it's definitely like the whole thing where people talk about like, oh, like a cat, like hiding away in a closet or something. Um, I started like getting that image in my head when I was uh, in labor. And I've always like had this connection since I was a child to like feline energy, I guess. And I was like envisioning that And I was like, I need my little nest. I need to be alone. I need to be able to focus and go to this other place without prying hands or eyes or, you know, so I labored by myself through the whole night. I got in and out of the bath and walked through the kitchen and held onto the countertops and just made progress that way. And then like, right as the sun came up, I was like, shit's getting real. (laughs) I better go wake him up, you know? So I went and I woke up my partner and I had my son about 10 minutes later. So yeah. Hey, (laughs) it's just funny. Cause like the whole time I was pregnant, I had this like thing in my head, like, oh, he's going to like hold me and help me through this. And like, (laughs) I think we did that through one contraction. It was like the last one. (laughs) That's funny. I had him in the bathroom on the toilet. <laughs> nice. um, yeah. So I, I got in there. I had that last big contraction where he did like rock with me through it. I was loud enough that I woke my daughter up. So they're both like standing in the bathroom door because we have this tiny little house that like no one else can even fit in the bathroom with me. I pushed his head out when I was on the toilet. And then I was like, better, better get off. So I just caught him myself, like, right, leaning in front of the the toilet there. And it was a sweet moment. Like my daughter got to see it and she said, yeah, she was like, you did it mama. And that was really, really sweet. And there's lots of tears and happiness and he latched right on. And it, it was feeling the confidence that I felt after that, knowing that I, had allowed myself to listen to my intuition, which in my nursing career and life in general, I was always like a very 
naturally subservient type of person just because that was like kind of how I was raised. You know, you need to listen to authority. You need to do this and that. And like, it's easy to push your intuition away when you have that mindset. Hell yeah. So yeah. So, point. Uh-huh. <laughs> so knowing that I was able to like get through that in this moment where everything was so intense, really allowed myself to like, I, f- I feel like I got deeper into who I really am and in doing so that led to my next pregnancy where, and also like, I decided that's when I quit my job. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going back. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to focus on my home and my children. And like, that's what I had always wanted, but I didn't have the wherewithal to like allow myself to make that choice and prioritize it as a matter of like maturing as a person. Because I just like wrote this post about this the other day, but like, you know, people will say babies bring abundance. And I never really understood that until I had that birth because Mm -hmm. like, maybe I don't have like financial abundance because I quit my job, (laughs) but that is the like definition of abundance to me because now it's like, I made the choice to be frugal and to shift things in my life so I can be home with my children. So I can homeschool my daughter through all this fuckery that's going on out in the world. Um, and I was able to get there because of that birth, honestly. So really, yeah. I mean, I think fundamentally it's why birth has been so co-opted and stolen, right? Like if women were walking around feeling powerful and feeling you know, like, I think that raw primal wild motherhood doesn't allow for bullshit, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, something happens. Exactly. Or you just like, can't handle it anymore. (laughs) You know, I've seen that with so many women. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like your blinders are Mm -hmm. off all of a sudden. Cause you realize like what you really are, like what lives within you. And that you're powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And like internally so. resourced and mm-hmm. yeah. So then you breastfed, no problem. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was like that's a huge, totally, man. yeah. Different that's experience. Awesome. And, and that's why, you know, we had the undisturbed birth. Mm-hmm. So breastfeeding, oh, you know, it was just easy, which I'm gr- grateful for, for sure. And then did you like tell the midwife? so we called her like right after and she did send like because she was actually at another birth so she wouldn't have been able to make it anyway so it's kind of funny she sent a co-worker um who I, I don't even know if she was actually a midwife I think she was like a midwife in training to come and check on me so they did that they helped clean up and everything and that's nice um yeah and and that was fine so my middle child Rowan he was seven months when I got pregnant again without my cycle (laughs) so I thought I was in the clear and clearly I needed to learn a little bit more about fertility awareness and all that I I remember like I know exactly when it happened and I remember thinking like oh I think I might get my period soon wow 
because I was cramping, but it was ovulation. Oh my God. Wow. (laughs) It totally takes you by surprise. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was like with my first two, it was like a situation where I knew I was pregnant. The second it happened, the second he pulled out, like I'm pregnant and I know it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but with this one, it was not that way because I wasn't even in the headspace where I could even comprehend having another baby again so soon. Um, so I didn't even find out till I was like seven or eight weeks. All of a sudden I was just like, I can't stand the smell of chicken cooking. Like, Oh, here we are. Okay. okay so you I, find out you're six to eight weeks pregnant. Your kiddo is nine months ish. Mm-hmm. And how does that go? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I was, I was surprised. I was sad, honestly. Cause yeah. I, I, and it was because of him. Like, I felt like I was taking something away from him. Um, like his babyhood and like our, you know, I was anxious about our breastfeeding relationship and my milk supply and all that. Um, so there was definitely like a grieving period where like, I didn't even tell my partner for probably like three or four days. Cause I just like had to like be with it in my head myself. Cause I didn't want to tell him when I was still feeling like sad about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it was, you know, a, more of a transition for me than, than him, totally. uh, for sure. So, cause he was like, well, great, let's do it. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not that easy for me, <laughs> but you know, I moved out of that, you know, fairly quickly into being grateful and excited and happy, but at the same time having to deal with the breastfeeding thing with my older baby. So we kept going and everything was fine for a little while. And then I started realizing like he was getting really like pissed when he was nursing out of frustration because there wasn't much there. Or I don't know if like, you know, they say the taste changes and all that. So he was about 10 months old when that started happening. So I just supplemented him with raw milk and called it a day and kept nursing him though. And he was eating a lot of food at that point too. So, um, we kept nursing. He eventually was just dry nursing, which he was happy to do that. (laughs) I was kind of like, it was, you know, all the hormones were making everything really sensitive and everything, but it was really important to me to allow him to do what he needed to do because he was so, so little, like if he was like two or three, I might've been like, okay. Forget about it. <laughs> yeah. You could like literally go forage your own food at three. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but you're trying, I mean, it's an effort to retain his babyhood also, mm-hmm. which is totally understandable. Yeah. And stay connected in that way. Mm-hmm. Totally. You no. Know, and the new baby would be there soon. I wanted to get as much snuggle time with him as possible too. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So tell us us that this new birth story. So this pregnancy, I, um, I just, it was a wild pregnancy. I never saw any sort of practitioner. Um, and I think for two reasons, I went that route and that first being, you know, with everything that's going on in the world in the past year and a half, like I did not want to be subjected to any sort of like 
craziness in the hospital or having to be, you know, even if I got a midwife and then eventually had to get transferred or something, you know, which is what would have happened because, you know, spoiler alert, my baby was breech. So Mm -hmm. I would have had an automatic C-section and I didn't want my baby seeing my face for the first time covered up and no. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So that was, that made the decision really easy. Um, I I think I would have gone that route anyway, but it was kind of like, I don't even need to think about this. Mm -hmm. And also with having had my middle child so recently and going through that pregnancy, like as much as I said, you know, like I enjoyed my midwife, she was like a, a cool person or whatever. You know, I go to these appointments, she takes my blood pressure, she palpates my belly, we listen to the baby's heart rate. I'm like, I don't really need someone else to do that. Like I can do these things myself. Um, I'm perfectly capable. I am felt like I was going into this pregnancy with like more wisdom than I had in the past. Like obviously my path wasn't to have my first few wild pregnancies or, you know, my first was in the hospital. Like my path was to like work my way up to this. And I was able to, because of my previous experiences. So I kind of just, but like work your way out. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) exactly. Dodging all the bullshit in the middle. But, um, so that pregnancy, it, you know, it was wonderful to not have to go to appointments to just feel into like what the experience really meant for myself without like other voices or ideas or opinions being injected into my experience. So that was really freeing and realizing like, I can do this. This is not, this is everything that everyone ever did before, you know, the last what, like 200 years or whatever. So there were things I had to work through that, like my baby or my placenta was anterior. And so I didn't feel her move until I was like 23 weeks pregnant, which my first two, I, you know, I remember, I think with my first, I remember feeling her about like 14 weeks normal. And then with Rowan, my middle child, like I felt him at like 10 weeks, like at a, you know, when they say you can't. And I was like, no, I know what I'm feeling. So I was kind of expecting that to happen again. Like, oh, I'm so in tune with myself and I'm going (laughs) to, and so I was like, what, what's happening? That was, you know, anxiety producing for sure. Like I I had to sit with that every night because I would like lay down to go to sleep and be like, well, this is normally when I would feel the baby Mm -hmm. when everything's quiet and I'm alone and and I'm not feeling it. So I had to go to that dark place of being like, well, it's still early. And if something's wrong, then something is wrong and your body will take care of it. And trusting that too. Yeah. Which, you know, it, it does take a lot of inner work to get mm-hmm. through that, but everything was fine. I did. I will, I will say like, even once I was feeling her and like, everything, you know, I started feeling better. I wasn't having morning sickness anymore and getting into the part of pregnancy. That's kind of like smooth coasting for a little while. I did have this sense that like something is different about this one. Um, like not wrong, but different. And I felt that way the whole, the whole time. 
um, the breach. Yeah. Yeah. She was breached. And I didn't, I had, <laughs> I think maybe somewhere inside of myself, I knew, knew that. And that's what I was picking up on, but like, I would palpate my belly. I would listen with the fetoscope. Um, and like, I was hearing a heart rate low and like the way my belly felt like I was like, I, I had convinced myself she was the way she was supposed to be. And now that I think about it, I'm like, well, I did have like that bump over here on my left side. And like, it felt like my belly was really tender to the touch. Like I felt like I had a bruise almost that now, now that I know she was breached. I'm like, well, that was her head. And that was like her bones on her head poking my belly. <laughs> so, hmm. yeah. Yeah. That, so she was a surprise breach. I did not know she was breached. That's what I was just going to ask. Well, with her labor, her labor was also different. And like, in the sense that my first two, the contractions built and built and built. And my water broke very close to the time of birth and had the baby. And with her, my water broke first. Um, I went into labor with her on the evening of Mother's Day this year on the new moon and everything. Um, and I woke up with contractions like at midnight and I went and I took a bath. And as I got out of the bath, I realized that my water was breaking and there was, it was pink and everything. So I was like, well, I guess this is it. I was, I was 39 and four, um, at that point. And I had been going through prodromal labor for days. So I was like, well, this is it. So it was kind of the same thing. It was the middle of the night and I just worked through it on my own, but my contractions were really irregular and spread out. So basically like if I was in the warm water or if I was lying down, They didn't go away, but they were like 10 to 15 minutes apart. And when I had them, they were really strong, but they were all over the place Mm -hmm. and spread out. So I'm like, well, I better get some sleep because this isn't going anywhere right now. So I was able to get a little rest. And then when I got up in the morning, I told my partner what was going on and he kind of took the kids and they did their thing so I could rest. And while I was resting, I'm like, I started getting like, anxious. I'm like this, I want this to like start picking up. So I realized like anytime I stood up, it was like gravity. I instantly started having more contractions. So I was like, I need to go take a walk. And thankfully it was nice day in May. We live on six acres of property in the woods. So I took like a nature walk with my daughter through the woods. And like I started out on that walk being like totally like chill and fine. And it was probably like a 15 minute walk. And by the time we were done, I was like literally hugging trees, like holding onto the trees, like telling myself, yeah, like let the earth take this for you. That kind of thing. I'm like, I need to get inside. Like I had had this idea too, like while I was pregnant about like giving birth outdoors. But like in that moment, I was like, I need to walk up that hill and get the fuck in the house, <laughs> you know, that's what I did. And I laid down in our room, just like blocked the windows off and, um, laid in the dark. Cause at that point I was like, I just want to be alone. I want to rest. Like it was kind of the not denial thing. Again, I was like, I'm just going to lay down and maybe like, I'll feel better, you know, but it was like, from the moment I laid down, 
to her birth, it was like less than an hour. So I had been in labor for like 16 hours at that point, but it was really like, I took that 15 minute walk. I lay down for half an hour and then I had her. So it, it just like took off at that point. Um, but my partner had like gone outside because he's like, well, I know you want to be alone and it might be a while. And he was way down where our chicken coop is like messing with the chickens. And I got up out of bed. I'm like, where, where is he? Where's everybody? <laughs> I'm like waddling outside, like yelling. I'm sure our neighbors heard me, but I'm like, you need to get up here. And by the, like the time it took him to walk up to the house, I was in the kitchen on my hands and knees. Like I had no like choice. Like my body was just like, get on your hands and knees. He like walks in the door and I'm, I'm there on my hands and knees. And also at that point I had just taken my pants off and I realized like the wetness I was feeling, you know, I was just in my head. I was like, you know, it's my water's leaking more, but I had meconium um, in my underwear. So, and it was like thick. So I, I was kind of like shifting in my head to fear at that point. But at the same time, I was like, I knew, I knew my body. I knew my contractions were at the point where I'm like, this is like happening now. So I just need to focus on birth, getting the baby out. Um, and I can't like let fear cloud my, my job right now. Um, so I got like, tried to get in the bathtub and have the water birth and all that, but my body was just like, you need to sit on the toilet again, <laughs> like what I had done with my son. But at the time we were redoing our bathroom downstairs. So there was no toilet <laughs> and the only other one was upstairs. So I was like, and, and this was probably like less than five minutes before I had her. So I was having like super intense contractions and like that walk up those stairs was like the hardest work, physical work of my life, honestly, because I almost had her at the bottom of the stairs. My partner was like underneath me, like getting ready to catch her. But I was like, no, I need to sit down on the toilet. <laughs> so I got up there and pushed what I thought was her head out on the toilet. And then I felt down and it was a butt and my brain like took a minute to really like comprehend. Like, I was like, what am I feeling? Like I was so like lost in like this other world. And it it really, I was like truly confused for a minute. (laughs) And then, you know, I, it dawned on me what was happening. So I, <laughs> I got off the toilet and I felt I was kind of, you know, between the meconium and the knowing she was breech at that point, I, I was like, I want to get this baby out. I want to get her out. I want to make sure she's okay. But then I felt her rotate and like just feeling her wiggling around was like such motivation to me, like, or for me. Cause I was like, Oh, she's here. She's almost here. So she was complete breach. So her legs were all the way up. And I had just read like the day before, it's kind of like my first birth. I had read spiritual midwifery and I was reading about breech babies. So I'm sure somewhere in my you know, psyche, I knew she was breech, but I, the thing that had stuck out was like, you don't touch the breech baby when they're, when they're emerging. So my partner like went to go like get her legs out and I was like, don't touch her. 
and he, he listened and we were able to get her out and one more push. So it was just two pushes. And, you know, she was my smallest baby. She was 6.8 pounds, but I brought her to my chest. She took a second to adjust, but then she immediately just started crying like softly and latched on like no big deal. Just like with my second. Um, yeah. So it's just a variation of normal. Like I, I got really into like, after I had her like looking folk tales up and all this like folklore that surrounds breech babies and trying to, you know, I think it's like three to 4% of babies are breech. And like at this point in time, like almost all of them are Mm C-sections. So knowing though, it's like, it's, it's, it is just a variation of normal. And in most cases it requires nothing. It requires hands-off care. And it's a variation of normal that comes with its own set of unique risks or like possible complications, but Mm -hmm. just like a head down comes with its own unique set of risks and possible complications. Like every just like twins, variation of normal comes with its own set of possible risks and complications, right? Like it's right. all just, it's just so yeah. variations of normal and, and complications and emergencies are all so confused in industrial birth. It's confused. Right. Us. Entangled with each other. Yeah. And like that risk is something that every person needs to assess for themselves. So, you know, yeah, I love, I love Yolanda, something she said a long time ago to me. And I mean, I'm sure she has said it publicly too, but, um, Mm -hmm. someone asked her about a breech birth and she said, oh, well, well, if, if I knew my baby was, was breached, then I would even more so commit to birthing at home because Mm -hmm. it's that or surgery. And it's like, yeah, yeah, those are not, that's not a good option. Like prophylactic unnecessary surgery for a variation of normal is fucking insane. Yeah. Yeah. They're not trained in it anymore. So that's, that's just doctor. Yeah. I think it's more than that. I think it's more than that. Cause how much training do you need to watch a baby come out? Right. That's like true. Your husband literally had zero training and he did a great job. Yeah, exactly. So He's he proud of that too. Deliver your baby, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's all weird, but I don't think it's just that it's no training. I think it's, um, you know, everything works off of incentive. And so the question is like, what's the Mm -hmm. incentive to bring vaginal breach back? What's the incentive? And there isn't an incentive. If you think about the money. Yeah. The money and then the risk that they are calculating now. Right. So the culture is providers who do breach or who allow breach to happen in their presence. Mm -hmm are vilified and mm-hmm. they're, they're ostracized and mm-hmm. it's quite, it's quite the cultural taboo. Yeah. Which... But I love, I love surprise breaches because it proves the point, you know, exactly. yeah, normal. And we've had a couple other surprise breach stories on the podcast and uh-huh. um, it's just so great to be like, yep, there you go. Not that big of a deal. Right. Like, yeah, I got her butt out and then, you know, had my realization that she was a breach and then just gave birth like any other birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. No, oh, thank you. 
that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honoured. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from the start.